All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Can you see Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It only... You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S. That'll get you $5 off your order and free shipping to all of Canada from Nunavut to the to the depths of Manitoba. The depths of Manitoba. <laughs> the depths of Manitoba. You can get free shipping for all of that and 
not only are we presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic, but also delivered by the great folks at DoorDash. Use promo code CanucksDD. No, ConvoDD. ConvoDD. Nailed Whoops. it. That, that was a problem. Capital okay. C. Capital D's. All right. Well, I was pretty close. Yeah, Actually, you, you know what? I kind of ruined that whole intro, but... No, you nailed it. You a, did great. We're on a tight schedule, so I want to get this episode out. We're not going to redo that. That could, no That's chance. one of the takes that you probably throw into the yeah, garbage. Yeah, no right chance there. we're redoing that. No. And we've already been talking for a minute. I haven't even introed our third guest on the panel for the round table here, Canucks Convo. We're stoked to have Harmon back in studio. Harmon Dial, how you doing, Harm? Doing really well, boys. Always a great time to to be in the studio. Absolutely, man. It's so much better when you get a guest in studio. Like we we love having guests on the show and, and over the phone and everything. But now we can give each other looks, eye contact the whole time. Like I remember, me and Quads have talked about this. It was the first episode that we ever did together. It was like maybe the second time we met. Yeah, and we did a full show with like eye contact. And we're like, this was awkward. Like the first time we did it at BCIT. <laughs> but we yeah, we're we're stoked to get you back in here, Harm. There's so much to talk about. And honestly, we're just kind of like. We're going to kind of just go top to bottom from the team. I don't think we really want to talk too much about the Hughes and Patterson contracts. We'll kind of talk about that when it happens. Um, you know, some movement in management and, and business side of things. We're not going to dive into all that. I think we, we want to just get into the team. Uh, but before we do, I wanted to ask Harm, because Quads and I, we talk about McDonald's quite a bit. Are, how much are you into McDonald's on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd say it's all at seven. Seven? Okay. So I'd I, say I that's a healthy it. number, I think. Yeah, healthy might not be the right word, but <laughs> I wanted to ask because like I, I know my my fifteen dollar order, like fifteen dollars or less, the order that I'm getting for like a good lunch or a good dinner. But what are you putting together for yours, Harm? Like we'll put like a fifteen dollar cap on it. Like are you a meal guy or are you just like individual items, McDoubles? Like how does your fifteen dollar order come together? Okay, so I'll start with uh, McChicken meal. Mm. And then as many junior chickens as I can fit on top of that. Wow, big chicken guy. Hey? Yeah, I'm I'm big chicken. Like I I love my burgers, but it's mostly it's mostly chicken burgers. So what do you think about? Have you had the chicken McGriddle, the breakfast sandwich? I haven't tried it. No. Okay, I had one today. Literally on the way. To what do you think you of it? What did you think of it? I get it often because I like the chicken really? in the morning. I well, you know what? Like harm would have harm. I should have picked him up and then gone to McDonald's because like this morning. I had two chicken McMuffins and a chicken McGriddle on the way over here. McGriddle's better than the McMuffin, though, yeah, right? Yeah, but you can't have three of them. It's a no, lot. No, yeah, to that's have. true. Like, that's a lot of grease. Pancakes are a lot yeah. to have for the bun. What about, uh, so you go, what do you think the big difference is between a McChicken and a Junior Chicken? Because the only difference I see is like cheaper. $3. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you could just, you, you get more bang for your, for your buck with the Juniors. So, yeah. um, you know. It's great for late night snacking. Oh, like yeah. you just stock up as many as you need and just <laughs> munch through them. So yeah, and I know quads. You've you're a little bit different on McDonald's. I'm gonna skip my McDonald's order because I've got a non no story. Okay, go so ahead. we went to get our haircut. This is like two years ago, and he yeah, doesn't go to McDonald's. Look at your hair; it looks like it's yeah, been two years. It has been. <laughs> he doesn't go to McDonald's often. So I was driving, and I was like, "Hey, no, no, you want to go to McDonald's?" He's like, "Yeah, okay, let's uh, let's go to McDonald's." So we go to McDonald's, and. Uh, I was like, hey, what do you want? He's, he goes, chicken burger. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I order him two junior chickens. Eats them both, has some fries. He's good to go. Then my aunt takes him to a doctor's appointment about a month later. And she took him to McDonald's. And he was like, she was like, what do you want? He goes, oh, Dave got me these chicken burgers. They were really good. Two two chicken burgers. So she ordered him two McChickens. And then they're at the drive-thru window. My nono was like, oh, it was cheaper at the other location. <laughs> then, so he, he doesn't realize, and my aunt doesn't realize that I got him junior chickens. So he eats both of these and like medium fries. Mm. My nono's an older guy, you know, 
five foot two Sicilian men. He, you know, he he's not built for that. Is basically what I'm trying to say. And then yeah, he he felt sick after. He's like, yeah, they were bigger than the other ones. I think the other location made them smaller. <laughs> That's my no no story. I saw you uh, quads. You had quite a little panini press the other day too. Yeah, you had I a did. Nice looking yeah. Italian sandwich. Yeah, I, George Foreman grill man. It's it's been great yeah. to me. It's been very very great to me. Yeah, we so, got a little uh little like portable barbecue that you would bring out to the beach and stuff. That's mm-hmm. what we've been using at the girlfriend's place. And yeah, we're, we're barbecuing a lot lately. That's I think awesome. like once you get a barbecue, you have like nine out of ten of your meals. Like the next yeah. ten meals, nine of them are probably on the barbecue when you yeah. get a fresh one. Yeah, I've been having steak and then fries in the air fryer. That's what I don't get. Amazing. When you, steak in the air fryer harm. Have you ever heard of this? This is the first time I've ever No, quads, I did it once. No, like, sorry, sorry. So I grill the steak okay. and then I put the fries in the air fryer. That's the ah, way to do okay, it. I had okay. the steak in the air fryer once because I want to try it because there's a steak setting. Nothing beats grilled. Nothing right. beats a grilled steak. And we, I think people want an update. Have you had a vegetable in your new house yet? Uh, yeah. And potato not a vegetable. No, I, yeah, I, I eat a lot of carrots. Carrots, carrots are Carrots are my go-to. And then I just bought some cherries and some green grapes. I went wow. through those green grapes pretty fast. Actually, I got a big bag. I'm like you know halfway what? done. Cherries are what gets you because you go to buy them at the store and it's like, it'll be like three seventy nine. You're like, oh, that's not bad. But then it's like per pound or something. Yeah. And then you get to the till and it's like, well, it's $15 for yeah. this bag of cherries. Yeah. Cherries, cher- they do get you. That's People in the Okanagan are lucky with that. That's why you got to load up when you're leaving. Yeah. Harm, you, you went on a trip as well. Did you uh, load up on some fruits when you came back from the Okanagan? No, unfortunately not. My uh... peaches. No, uh, you know, my, my dad will just usually drive out to one of these, mm-hmm. um, I guess, farms or whatever, and he'll, like, buy, like, 50 pounds of blueberries at <laughs> once for the entire year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I tried some, um, um, what, what, I forget the name of it, um, ne- some nectarines Yes. the other day. Oh, my God, they were so good. Yeah. It's like apple, uh, apples on steroids, <laughs> like, so good. Yeah, no, that's like every time we go to Kelowna, it's just like you load up on the way. What, what's your go-to though? You're like Kelowna. You got the options. You got raspberries. You got cherries, peaches. Like, what's yours, Harm? What's your your go-to if you do get that Okanagan fruit? Because there's a lot of good stuff up in the Okanagan for fruit. We got a lot of listeners over there as well. Uh, honestly, I don't think I've one that sticks out. I just kind of like like them all pretty decently in terms of like blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, peaches. So I'm I'm multidimensional. I'd say the yeah, the one wow. my favorite fruit in general during the summer is mango for sure. Mangoes, okay. I have I'm a like, proposition that yeah. I'd like to make in this room right now. Okay. I've never been to the Okanagan. I think I went to Kelowna when I was like nine. Wow. Okay. When the Penticton Young Stars tournament gets back, we rent an RV. That's my proposition. Just have to get an RV. Sure. You're going to be driving, I'm assuming, because sure. yeah, I don't probably. think either of us are qualified yeah. to drive an RV. No, I think you got that though. Yeah, we could we could RV a up road to trip to Penticton, park in the parking lot, and just yeah. you know, set up camping yeah. t- camping chairs. There you go. Sure, I could do for that. All right, you know what's not, they're not even that expensive to get an RV for a weekend. I know. I've heard. I know. Cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Or we could do it getaway, and you get a you get a U-Haul. That's the the getaway to do it. You you can like we did that for camping one time, where we <laughs> bought the biggest U-Haul you could get. We got it for the full weekend, and then you're like, boom, you got electricity inside it if you get the big like nice oh, one. Wow! And it's like a big tent because you just close the door and you're inside. You go to sleep. We had like eight guys in this U-Haul one time. We we're camping down in Port Renfrew. And yeah, it was awesome. so bad. Oh yeah, well then you open the door, right? <laughs> like you got to keep a crack in the door, otherwise it gets that's uh, too much stank in there. Oh, geez. hey, let's. Let's get into some hockey. Oh, yeah, I forgot. How much time did we just waste there? 10 minutes. minutes. We're we're (laughs) 10 minutes in. Well, I want to start with this Canucks team going into the next season. Um, I want to go with the forwards right off the bat. Well, we got you in in here, Harm. I want to have a good discussion about what the lines are going to end up looking like. Are we all on the board of saying the lotto line is the first line next year? Yeah. 
Yes. Okay, so we'll skip that. I think that's <laughs> one that we can go with. But I think there might be some discussion here on the second line. Horvat's going to center that line. I think Garland's going to be there as well. But I'm curious to get both of your guys' takes. And Harm, we'll start with you. Who's who's going to be on that line with Garland and Horvat? Do you want? Do we want to talk about what I expect will actually happen, or what I'd like to yeah, see? Yeah, let's go with both. Let's Give go us with, both. Yeah. I think right now, let's go with who we would like to see. Let's go with who would we like to see play with Horvat and Garland. Well, my kind of thought process has definitely been: I'd like to see Hoaglander there for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think Horvat and Garland are both shooters, so having you know Hoaglander's dual sort of offensive threat uh, as a really good setup man would be an excellent complement there. And so, you know, you're just at that point, you're stacking maximum offensive talent on that second line. And then I would then like the idea of, um, you know, bumping Pearson and then you have Pearson Dickinson, Pod Colson. You have three bigger guys who are all detail oriented, excellent defensively. And so, you know, that third line can play in a sort of checking shutdown role. That frees up the Horvat line to not have to play tough matchups anymore. And because you've got so much offensive talent on that unit, they can just create a whole lot. And I think that would be the kind of environment where Horvat's even strength production could really explode. And um, so I think that's what I'd like to see. And a lot of people will say, you know, two undersized wingers, but Garland is a feisty, feisty dude. He's good along the walls, good on the forecheck. We saw what Hoaglander is. He may be 5'9". He does not play like he's 5'9". Yeah. So um, that's what I'd like to see. I don't know if they'll actually roll with that, though. Yeah, and I know, Quads, you can expand on that, too, because I think you're in the same boat. Like I've been saying that exact but line of thinking for What weeks. I want to ask, like, talking about the two undersized wingers, like, where do you think that comes from in today's age? Like, is that just a saying from the past? Because you see the way Huglander plays. We've seen, you know, I think both, all three of us have kind of watched how Garland plays. We haven't seen every game, obviously, of his career, but we've seen how he plays and is able to compete. Is that just a saying of the past, do you think, that you need to have guys that are over six foot? Because the way these guys play you would think that they were taller than six foot or bigger, but at this point it doesn't really matter about the size of these guys. It's how, how they compete. No, I'm, I'm a little biased toward the short Kings, but Absolutely. no, I'll be honest. Like, yeah, I think you, it's not that you should be targeting guys that are under six feet or anything like that. It's just when you're evaluating players, you need to take everything into consideration. And I, I, you know, I, I'm going to turn this about goaltenders because it's the how same. the hell are you going to turn <laughs> this into goaltenders? <laughs> because it's the exact same thing with goalies. There's oh, a lot of oh. things to take into consideration, and it's not just the tallest player is going to the tallest person is going to be the best player. Like that's just not how it is. So you know, with goaltenders, you're taking in a lot. You're taking in a lot of things into consideration, and with players, obviously, it's a few less things because there, there's less things for a player to do than a, or a forward to do than a goaltender, but it's the same line of thinking in that, you know, size definitely isn't everything here. You need to be, you know, you need to, you need to have that grit and that confidence, right? And just, you know, always striving to do more. That's, I think that's kind of what separates a guy like Niels Hoaglander from a guy like Jake Vertanen in their careers, right? It's just, you know, wanting it more. And I think to, to kind of speak on that second line a little bit, the, the thing that I would like to throw to the equation, and I know we can dive into this a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised to see Green give Vasily Pod Colson a chance on that line as well. Yeah. If you're talking about, you know, we're talking about size and we're talking about grit and the way that they play, 
Vasily Podkolzin has the size. He also has that same drive that Niels Huglander has. It'll be interesting to see him transition to the NHL, obviously. I don't think it's going to be as hard as a lot of people are thinking. I mean, this guy was, was an excellent player in the KHL, and everything he did at the KHL looked like he was one of the highest-level players on his team when it came to forechecking, playmaking, and being the, just the things that coaches love. And that's what I think we might see come out of camp, is just getting an opportunity to see Garland and Horvat play alongside Podkolzin on a top-six line. But to me, like, and, and we can kind of transition to this now, are we all expecting Pearson? Because that's what I kind of see happening. I think Travis Green's going to go back to, to putting Horvat and Pearson back together with Garland, and then we'll have to see what happens on that third line. Could be a very exciting line with Huglander and Pod Colson playing together. But, Harm, now what do you expect? Do you expect to see Pearson? Do you expect to see Pod Colson? Like, how do you see that kind of working out now? Yeah, I think it'll definitely be a battle between Pearson and Pod Colson for, for the second line. I mean, we'll see. Maybe maybe Green has a change of heart. Maybe he doesn't mind the idea of two undersized ringers, so I won't count Hoaglander out of the equation yet. Uh, but that's, I mean, if you think about it as in terms of roles, I think definitely, you know, just just trying to put myself in Green's shoes, I think he would like the idea of having a bigger forward that is good along the walls, plays a detail-oriented defensive game. And so that's where Pod Colson and Pearson have kind of that similar two-way uh, element, um, and especially the effectiveness on the forecheck. So I think he... I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted one of Pearson or Pod Colson, and then he just kind of waits to see how. I mean, we all know what Pearson is. Pod Colson would just be the X factor, and where exactly he's at in his game. Um, and then whoever doesn't make it out of the two would obviously um, come on to the uh, come on to the third line. So, I mean, that's what I'd kind of expect to see is is that battle there. I I find that kind of interesting that it's not like what you expect to see is a battle between Pod Colson and Pearson. Are you not expecting Huglander to get a shot there? Like, I don't know that that's kind no, of what you mentioned. I, I mentioned, for sure. Like, I think he's definitely an option there, too. Um, but you're leaning I towards think, the bigger body type just because... I think that's more likely. It. Right. Right? So, I mean, for sure. I think there's definitely there's definitely a chance that Huglander gets a shot there, too. And, and the other thing, too, is as we even discussed the lines, it's crazy the amount of line combinations there are because there are so many forwards within this top nine group that can play multiple positions. Like Miller can play both wing and center. Uh, Hoaglander can play both wings. Garland can play both wings. Pod Colson can play both wings. Um, uh, Dickinson, I don't know if I already mentioned him, he can play center or wing. And they've already talked about his versatility and how much they value his um, ability to play wing. So it's like, if you're Travis Green, there are like a million line combinations you can try and go to. Um, and so that's, I think, what makes it so exciting going into camp is seeing exactly what direction he leans into. So even though we're only talking about two or three names next to uh, Horvat and in this kind of instance, in reality, there are, I mean, there's just endless kind of yeah. different combos you can put together. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to be exciting is to see just options, right? Like yeah. we haven't seen options in the past especially when you're talking about a top six and now we're talking about options for a top nine but in the past we haven't had options in a top six even it's like there's been six guys coming out of camp that are I mean last year even looking at it the, the conversation about Vertanen being in the top six Huglander ended up winning the spot but then like after that you only had six guys now it feels like you have seven to eight you know Dickinson maybe even sliding up to play top six if he has to play the wing like there are some serious options for the top six and quads speaking of the top six Pearson, I want to get your thoughts on him because I, I like, I don't know if I'm the only one who's really thinking that like, if I were a strong betting man on this, I would bet that Pearson plays with Horvat and Garland to start the year. 
I, I don't think Green's going to give that shot to... Like, I would like to see him give a shot to Pod Colson or Huglander, but I think with a player like Tanner Pearson on the contract that Pearson just signed, I don't think he gets... I don't think one of those young guys gets the opportunity over a Tanner Pearson. I get what you're saying, but I also think it's kind of similar to what Harmon said in terms of role, right? And I've been saying that for weeks, and just the matchups with Horvat and everything, and Horvat being freed up offensively, do you want Tanner Pearson on his wing if he's getting more scoring opportunities and spending more time in the offensive zone? I don't think you do. I think you want one of Pod Colson or probably Hoaglander, who's actually played with Horvat before. I think that's what you want. And then, again, if we're going at it from a from the perspective of that third line is going to get more matchup minutes, Pearson, Dickinson, and Pod Colson, that's a solid third line in my estimation. Like a big, big line there. It is. That it's is. That's a... That, that, that's a hefty line. Yeah. That is a hefty line right there. And I think that's that's what it boils down to is what role are these guys playing? Because I think if they're playing in the offensive zone a lot, that second line, I don't think you want Pearson there. I don't care how much he's making. Louis Erickson was making six mil. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have to talk Louis anymore, which is unfortunate. We do. Yeah, we do. You know On funny? this show, we do. The three jerseys that I bought last year from the fake website. Oh, oh man. So I bought God. three jerseys last year. Oh. I bought the Louis Erickson Lunar New Year jersey. Amazing. Louis's gone. I bought the Jake Tannen 2000 throwback jersey. Jake's gone. And then I bought the Nate Schmidt ret- reverse retro jersey. <laughs> oh. He's gone. So all three of the fake jerseys that I bought last year are gone. All three of those players are gone. You're welcome to Canucks fans who are wow. one of those three gone. Wow. Who's next? Gone. Yeah, who yeah, are you buying next? I, I think I'm going to get a Pearson jersey next. <laughs> wow. Or maybe, okay. no, you know what? I actually, I, I can't get a Pearson. I have to get a Tyler Myers jersey. Oh, oh. Like, Tyler Myers That'd is be, the only, like, yeah, which yeah. jersey would be the funny, yeah. which, uh, which, like, Think, Which jersey should I go with for the Tyler Myers? Oh. Mm. They have some, like, maybe a millionaire's jersey, because I think the yeah, millionaire's, the millionaire's jersey is gross. The one I, like I hate to say that with Harms Rock and millionaire's colors right now. <laughs> I just, I hate the millionaire's jersey so much. It's, like, my least favorite Canucks jersey that they've trotted out. Hey, I want to ask Harmon about this. Okay, like, we, we've talked about clearing cap space a lot. And, you know, like, personally, I'm not too, like, people are reaching out to me and saying, oh, I'm, like, worried about... Um, Pedersen and Hughes not being signed yet, and it's just I don't I don't get that really. I, I think it'll be everything's going to be fine with that. Um, but when we talk about clearing out cap space, the next big anchor aside from OEL, which they just acquired, is Tyler Myers. Do you see the Canucks at any point in the next year like trying to move out the Tyler Myers contract? Because we know with the Besser qualifying offer and everything that's coming down the line, like, do you see them trying to do that? Well, I definitely don't expect it this offseason yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, with this, this this coming season is definitely an all-in year. And when you look at the right side of the defense, uh, they are definitely going to value Myers. And especially because you look at, you know, heading into the expansion draft, you know, there were a lot of kind of rumblings within the organization that, um, I mean, like a lot of us, a lot of us expected that just because of Myers' contract that, you know, they wouldn't have, you know, like you could leave him exposed and Seattle's not going to take him. But, even despite that, I think the organization really wanted to make sure they protected Myers. And so that was just one of the circumstances where I think they still really value Myers as a player. And, and I don't think they're too worried about the contract right now. So I, I don't see anything happening in the interim, especially I, moving Myers' contract in a flat cap environment with multiple years left definitely mm-hmm. isn't going to be easy. I know Schmidt got moved, but he comes with much higher pedigree yeah. from when he from when he was in Vegas. So you, I, I think just between the degree of difficulty of moving the contract, but also Vancouver 
I think genuinely valuing Myers, I wouldn't expect him to be shopped. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see maybe with less years on the contract if a team wants to bite, but still you're getting him at an older age. And it's going to be interesting to see his value. I think it even drops after this coming year because what I'm kind of projecting is I, I still think Myers is going to play with OEL, but I like I, I don't know because I don't know what Pullman's going to end up being. Like, I, don't, I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think like what I've, I've heard you talk about, I've heard a lot of other people on their podcast talk that it's going to be Pullman and OEL. So maybe we'll skip the bottom six a little bit and just kind of get into that because I, I've made the, like, Tyler Myers has played a ton of minutes with Travis Green over the past couple of years of him being here. I know that he's a player that gets top four minutes, even if he doesn't slide into a top four throughout the season. He's going to get penalty kill time. I don't know if he's going to get power play time next year, but I've, I've heard you talk about it. Like, you think Pullman is being brought in to be on OEL's pairing and be the shutdown pairing. For, for sure. And the reason I say that is... OEL, I think, is going to play matchup minutes against the other team's best players going up against Connor McDavid. And when you look at Tyler Myers, two things. Number one, they've never really used him in a matchup role. So they'll play him a ton of minutes, but never really against the other team's best, uh, best lines for a consistent period of time. Number two, the stylistic fit of OEL Myers, you're looking at two kind of more offensively oriented guys that like to skate, carry the puck. I've got to be honest, defending Connor McDavid, OEL and Myers together would be a defensive disaster, in my opinion. I, I That's what I think. And so for that reason, I think they look at Tucker Pullman. Uh, Pullman, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's better than Myers, but as a fit in terms of playing in a defensive matchup role to complement OEL, who's more of an offensive type, I, I'd imagine that they would like that fit better. And the reason... Um, I say that say that is because Pullman has experience playing tough matchups the last couple of years with with Josh Morrissey, and even though I don't think Pullman is a top four caliber defenseman, that on this blue line I think he'll get that shot. Okay, so with that in mind, how who do you see Tyler Myers playing with? Because like I agree with you, but I also you know we've been talking about this in recent weeks. It just doesn't feel like there's a place for Tyler Myers on this defense pairing. Well, you you. Uh, you'd have him taking uh, third pair of line uh, line rushes. Yeah, he'd play more. He'd play again. It's one of those things where, um, you know, he's penciled on the third pair, but he ends up playing twenty two minutes a night. So I'd expect that to happen depending on the different situations, PK, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even second unit unit power play. Although I think that's a little unlikely, but. Um, I mean, again, I don't think the fit there is perfect between, say, like a Rathbone and a Myers, but they tried it at the end of the year. So yeah. that's clearly a combo they're willing to, I guess, um, explore. And I mean, it's just it's it's just tough because at the end of the day, because you have all of Hughes, OEL and then um, Rathbone as lefty puck movers. Um, I mean, ideally, there'd be you'd have you'd have a have a a complement of more defensively oriented guys and I, I guess the Canucks do have a couple of them in Hamannick Pullman but regardless of what combos you go in at somewhere in the lineup you're going to have to stack offensive puck mover with offensive puck mover yeah I, the way that I see like I don't see Tyler Myers playing less than 18 minutes a game oh no for sure not and I don't see Jack Rathbone playing more than 14 minutes a game Unless he's getting power play well, time on the second unit. Yeah, okay. If he's getting second, even still, like, that's only a minute or minute 30 a game, maybe. So, like, I, I find it strange that if they're pairing together, and Myers is probably going to get over 18 to 19, 20 minutes a game. He was the second most highest minutes last year on the Canucks. I don't know how Myers gets to 20 minutes 
playing on a pairing with Jack Rathbone. Like, I know that they'll use him if they're down. They'll put him probably back with Hughes because they've used that in the past. Or maybe he plays with OEL at that point instead. But I that's why I kind of think, like, I know the stylistic fit makes a lot more sense to have Pullman with OEL. But I just think, like, from a, a veteran NHL defenseman who's played a lot of minutes for you, you bring in OEL to play a lot of minutes. That's why I think Green's going to end up going with OEL and Myers, even though the fit is like, I, I'm with you, like, it, it worries me a lot to what they're going to be able to do in the defensive zone. And the thing that I hated about Tyler Myers and Jack Rathbone last year so much was Myers, like, he has to be the guy moving the puck up the ice. Like, he can't be the guy passing off to someone. It's just not in his DNA. You watch him play, he has to be the guy making the pass out of the zone. And that's when you're going to get OEL. Like, the thing that OEL can still do well is make passes out of his zone. He can still move the puck. He's not a guy who's going to be a defensive player, and that's why the fit doesn't make any sense. But to me, like looking at two veterans who have been around the NHL, though their defensive analytics just looks horrible, and together they're just going to be a mess defensively, I still think Green goes with them just because of the veteran status. Well, the one thing I'll say is I remember during the second half of the 1920 season, Myers would play alongside Fantenberg. Fantenberg didn't play a ton, and Myers was still consistently consistently getting above 20 minutes a night. It's Mm -hmm. just... They find Where ways. Where those to, mystery minutes I know. come from? They, they, yeah. they just find ways to, I guess, like double shift them on different pairs and use them on special teams. And I, again, I'm kind of with you. I've wondered to myself, like, there were definitely points in the season where I was like, man, like, Fantaberg is only playing, you know, like X amount of minutes. <laughs> Myers is like penciled on the same pair as him, and he's like over 20. Like, how does that happen? But it just. They, they find ways to deploy him in different situations and get his minutes up. It's all the too many men penalties. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, that's the thing. It's like Myers is going to be taking a lot of penalties probably again next year. I think that's the thing that I like about maybe the defense court changing over that has been brought up a lot is like Pullman took what one penalty last year. Ekman Larson's pretty low on penalties as well. I wonder how much like how much do you think that affects a game harm? Like not having Alex Edler and Tyler Myers take as many many penalties as we've seen in the past. Like I think that's something that low key is going to really help this team. If you're not taking as many penalties, you're not on the shorthanded unit as much. And I think that's going to help them a lot at five on five. For sure. And although it is worth pointing out that in Nate Schmidt, the Canucks lost uh, a very similar player who was, um, you know, barely took penalties. I think it matters more so from a like that. It's definitely useful and I think it'll help. But in terms of taking penalties, you know, the mo- the most kind of common instances where it happens is when you're kind of tired and chasing the play and you end up tripping, hooking, holding a guy, some kind of uh, obstruction. And that tends to happen when you're chasing the play. And so, you know, my theory has kind of been unless, you know, there are two, t- two types of teams that take a lot of penalties. One is you know, the the team that is constantly, I guess, playing on the edge physically, and I think of a team like Anaheim back in the day, um, who would kind of fit that bill. You're seeing those teams less and less frequently. The other kind of um, team that fits that bill is, you know, one that doesn't chase the play as much. Like, if you're consistently without the puck, you're going to get, you're more prone to getting tired. And a lot of it, too, I feel like is, and this is the really weird thing about officiating, and it, and I don't want to go deep on this, but um, makeup calls are such a big thing. Um, and it's almost as if how many penalties you ultimately 
how many power play opportunities you get almost aligns perfectly with how many, um, like your, how many times you're shorthanded. It's the makeup call is just such a big thing. So I guess the, the point of what I'm trying to make is I think you'll see, um, lesser penalties, penalties, especially because if you look at 2019, 20, the Canucks were one of the least penalized teams. Um, and that was like a unique opportunity that they had where, you know, I talked about if you're, if you're barely taking any penalties, you don't get too many power play opportunities. 1920, the Canucks were a very rare boat where they had a lot of power plays, didn't take a lot of penalties. I don't know if they'll get back to that level, but I'd expect kind of their differential to improve compared to last year where, where they were above league average in taking penalties. Yeah, and hopefully the, the power play improves as well. We'll get into that in the second half of the episode. But to, to kind of close on the defense core, we talk about Rathbone and Myers not being a stylistic fit. And I heard you talk about this on Sakaris and Price just a little bit. It's not really exactly this, but... What if Brad Hunt's the guy to play with Tyler Myers at a camp? That stylistic fit makes a lot more sense. You're obviously not getting Jack Rathbone into the lineup. I would think in that situation, Rathbone's starting in, in Abbotsford. And I'm glad I didn't say Utica for like the first time ever here. I actually got it right with Abbotsford. Uh, and then I think you're rolling with maybe a Levy and Shen as your kind of seventh and eighth defenseman, just so that Rathbone's getting games. I think that's a big thing. You know, it doesn't require waivers to be sent down. So Rathbone can get some games in, be the top guy in Abbotsford and be ready to go whenever. Is Brad Hunt seriously a better fit because of the option? I guess the stylistic fit with Myers makes a lot more fe- more sense because he's a veteran. He's a guy who's more defensive than than Rathbone, probably more defensive than Yulevi. So does that make sense as kind of a day one starting lineup for the defense? Is, is Brad Hunt playing with Tyler Myers? It's an option, and he's definitely a legit candidate. Like, I know a lot of people looked at Hunt, and, you know, the immediate thought was, hey, extra, like, this will be, you know, maybe a 7th, 8th D, maybe get sent down to Abbotsford, but... Um, you look at his profile and it's been years since he spent any time in the AHL. Like he's a legit NHL player and it was only a year ago that he basically played every game for the Minnesota Wild. He played, I think, 59 of their 68 games um, before the COVID shutdown. Um, he played all four playoff games against the Canucks. So he was an everyday number 60 and he drove solid results. Now, I don't know how much better of a stylistic fit he is because yeah he has more experience i'm sure his defensive details are going to be a little bit more mature but i think hunt's only like five nine and he's also like a a puck puck moving type so i don't know how much of a stylistic difference there is but in terms of experience and ability level hunt's an nhl caliber defenseman so i expect that he'll provide legitimate competition for rothbone for that third pair uh ld spot and Quads, I want to ask just one more thing before we head to break here about kind of defense core around things out with Luke Shen. I think the exciting thing is that if you're going to have offensive guys on your left side, one of the best seventh defensemen you can have is Luke Shen, who's not going to yeah. bring a lot of offense, and he can really fit with anyone. Like, if if it were Hamannick to go down and you're having success with Pullman and OEL and you're having success with Myers and whoever it is, would you see a world where Luke Shen just slides in? Say it's a five-game stretch. Say you're missing Travis Hamannick for a week or maybe two weeks. Do you think that they just slide Shen right up into that line to play with Hughes because he has in the past stylistically it makes a lot of sense? Or do you think there's some sort of movement with with the other pairings to kind of just make sure that he's not playing on a top pairing with Quinn Hughes? I hope we see that. Like, do you, Does anybody out there listening to this not want to see Luke Shen be Hughes' personal assassin again? Because I think that was awesome. Like that was I don't. That was some of the most that was fun. But that was like, fun. I guess I guess it's not a recipe for role. winning. It's not a recipe for winning. <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. It wasn't a playoff team. No at the stats, time just vibes. Yeah. Right? No. In all seriousness, yeah. Like, uh, uh, 
like what Harmon said is a very good point. Like Luke Shen on your top pair, you've made a mistake somewhere along the road if that's that's what's happening. It's weird but, that we've like there's such a, a high value on right shot defenseman, but like I almost want to say like if Luke Shen was a left shot defenseman, <laughs> him playing with Tyler Myers would be a very nice little pairing on your third pairing, right? Ah, uh, very nice. Well, I, I mean, don't know. It's it's a good fit in the end. Like the way that yeah. that's the thing that makes Shen I think so valuable is no matter who he's going to have to play with, and yeah, I hope it's not. I hope it's not Hughes for five, five on five a night with Quinn Hughes. But if it's if it's with Jack Rathbone, like I love the idea of if an injury happens and you bring in Shen, yeah. he plays with Jack yeah. Rathbone. Okay, that is, that's where I'd that's, love to that's, see that. That makes a lot more sense because it'd be similar to what Hughes was playing in that year when he played right. with Shen. It's in a similar you know third pairing role. Now, that being said, like is Pullman the guy who slots up to play with Hughes then? If if there's an injury to Hamnick, is is yeah, that probably. what we're looking at, or is it Myers who goes up? Man, the, yeah, I don't like, know because Myers had decent offensive numbers with Hughes two years ago, and but that's last what I'm year saying. everything yeah. fell apart yeah. when those two were on well, the ice together. What Three if, goals, four and fourteen against when they're on the ice last year. What I'm thinking is, if you're having this success with OEL and Pullman as your shutdown pair, and you really don't want to split that up, because then you know if Pullman goes up, Myers is on with OEL, and we've already talked about how much of a disaster that could be. Like I, I think you are looking at Myers playing with Hughes, and then it would be a would be Shen moving in with Rathbone. Yeah, what about what? What do you think about that, Harm? Because I know you didn't like the idea of Shen going in there, but let's say that Pullman and OEL makes a lot of sense. They're your shutdown pair. Obviously, Travis Green values a shutdown pair a ton, and if that is working as a shutdown pair, and you do see a Hamnet go down, would it be Myers or Shen to go play with Hughes? I think it. Would, I think it would be Myers. Yeah. Um, he's he's closer to. I, I think much closer to being a top four. Um, top four defenseman again. I don't. I really don't like the idea of of Hughes and, and Myers together. But um, again, just because stylistically, unless you're ch- unless you're chasing the game and you need to mm-hmm. score, I I don't. I'm not fond of the idea of playing them together. Um, but this also this discussion, I guess, also hinges on a pretty big a pretty big assumption that OEL and Pullman have clicked. Yes. Because... That might I mean, be more rare than Hamnick getting injured if they're actually clicking together on a pairing. Yeah, like, it's... Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating because it's like it's like that meme Quads posted. It's like the left side looks look, looks really nice, <laughs> yes. and then you go to the right side, and it's just... Um, Bit of a disaster. You can say it. Yeah. A lot of question marks. We'll leave a lot of question marks, <laughs> yes. It's not quite a disaster yet because we haven't seen it on the ice. Yes, that's I'd fair enough. There's a hell yeah. of a lot of question marks. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll, we'll shut down our first half right there. We'll, we'll get into some quick little ad break here and come back on the other side. Lots to talk about with uh, some special teams units. We'll discuss that. Uh, maybe do a little rounding out of the bottom six. And believe it or not, I don't have a prospect update this week, but Quads has a prospect update this week. So I'll just do a goalie. I'll, do, I'll, I'll talk goalies for five minutes. No, I definitely won't do that. We'll throw to an ad break, and we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, folks, that's right. We got a new ad finally here for Parallel 4-9 Beer. You want to get down to the street kitchen, folks. It's more than just a street kitchen now. Now it is a full-on beer gardens. Absolutely beautiful. You've seen Quads and I tweeting about it. The food's amazing. A ton of beers on tap. Quads as well. You've had uh, not only beers, but what other drinks did you like there? I had the Muddler's Pink Lemonade. That was very good. You need to go get the food, though. The food at the Parallel 49 Street Kitchen, ridiculous. What did we eat that one day? Poutine? Cheeseburger, well, I ate it all. 
waffle fries, and then we got those Korean barbecue wings. Yeah, the spicy chicken burger. That's my go-to. But Delicious. what you do, a little trick for everyone, you swap out the jalapenos for their pickled cucumbers. Very, very good. Highly recommend that. That's down at 1950 Triumph Street off an East Van. That's parallel 49 at 1950 Triumph Street. Check them out in East Van and go down and try some beers and be sure to get some food down on that beautiful patio. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. Squish Beverage, my new favorite drink of the summer. Absolutely crushable. The right drink to bring down to the beach, the right drink to bring down to the river, camping, whatever you're doing this summer. Squish is the beverage for you. They have original hard seltzers and a bunch of different flavors, but the lemonade ones, those are my favorite quads. Me too. I can drink more than one of those. They're crushable. Which is good. So when you go down to the beach, you're bringing how many? More than one. More than one. Unlike last time. Absolutely. This is the hard seltzer for you. This is the hard seltzer for summer. Go out and try Squish. You can find their original flavors of hard seltzer at BC Liquor Stores. But if you want to do a little bit of digging, that's where you're going to find the lemonades. My favorite. And you can find those at private liquor stores all across British Columbia. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for helping support local Canucks content here in Vancouver. Big shout out to all of them. Hey, let's get let's get into special teams a little bit, and we'll start with our poll question, which, by the way, I tweeted out before the recording, not just before the break here, before the whole recording. Uh, our Your Business Here poll question, if there's only one defenseman on the second power play unit, who would you like to see get the most minutes? The options are Oliver ekman Larson, Jack Rathbone, or Tyler Myers. And How's Quads, Tyler Myers doing? Well, I'll start with you, Quads. Who, yeah, <laughs> so right now, uh, Tyler Myers has 1% of the votes. So <laughs> who is voting for Tyler Myers here? Uh, and yeah, I'm in, I'm in trouble here because I forgot to put in I'm angry. And I'm uh, angry would have been crushing Tyler Myers. It would be. So, yeah. Quads, I guess like we could we could ask you to start this. Oliver ekman Larson or Jack Rathbone? Who's, who would uh, you who, like to see? Who do I think or who would I like to see? I think who would you like to see? Because I think everybody knows it's going to be OEL over Rathbone. Yeah. But like, would you be in the camp of saying you'd rather see Rathbone there? And this is only uh, if there's one defenseman on that unit. I actually project there's going to be two. I think there's going to be two, and I think that both these guys are going to be here. But if you only had one of them. I think it's going to be OEL, Rathbone. And if I had to pick between the two, it'd be Rathbone. I just think Rathbone has such a great shot. And like from what we saw from him in that small sample size, I just think the sky's the limit for Jack Rathbone. And I think, you know, especially if you're relying on OEL to play these shutdown minutes, that's a way to get Rathbone's ice time up in some favorable minutes. And I just like, I think you're moving into the territory when you start to talk about OEL on the power play, you're moving into the territory of like overplaying him like you did with Alex Edler. And I don't think anybody wants to see that. I think he'll perform better if he's playing fewer minutes. I think he'll perform better if he's not on the power play. Like I, I think overall at five on five, he's playing shutdown minutes alongside Pullman as we all project him to. Yeah. I think, I think it's Rathbone. So OEL is now just a defensive guy for this team. Harm, what do you think about that? I I wholeheartedly agree. I think hmm. Quads hit hit the nail on the head right there. It's, I think again the shot is the key, right? Because OEL he's a decent puck transporter. He's a really good passer. 
Um, but the one element that I think, even when you look at Quinn Hughes, the Canucks don't really have is just a bomb from the point on the power play. And I think that's become less and less important over time as I think modern power plays have evolved and kind of run through the flanks more than anything now. But still, having a shot that you know penalty killers um, have to respect so that you know it just creates more space. Even just the threat of... Rathbone having that point shot once he gets that off and teams start to recognize that that's a legitimate weapon you can't cheat as much to the sides and 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 it's why for instance like you look at for instance Washington's power play part of the reason why Ovechkin is always open open at the flank despite everyone knowing how good his one-timer is part of the reason is because John Carlson has a really good shot and PKers have to respect that too Mm so obviously different uh, different um, environment on Canucks second power play unit, but I think having that extra element of that bomb from the point, in addition to Rathbone still having that lateral mobility, um, I don't think Rathbone's as good of a passer, but I uh, and he may be a little bit raw, but I like the idea of you know just giving him that opportunity and putting him in a position to to succeed. He's got the fake clapper too. Yes, yeah, he's got the flake, fake clapper hop stuff. He's got that going yeah. for him, but like. And OEL, like, if he was a number one... He wasn't the number one guy. He wasn't on the first power play unit last year for the Coyotes. Like, Chitrin was the guy who, who scored a hell of a lot of goals, too, on the power play. Like, OEL is just coming off of being a second power play unit guy. I, I don't think that where there's a world... Like, you guys have both kind of said to, to limit some minutes of him. I don't think there's that much added minutes, especially tough minutes, on a second power play unit for Oliver ekman Larson. So I, I don't know if they're going to go with... Ja- and even, like, we don't know if Jack Rathbone's going to make the team out yeah. of camp. Right, so I like I. Yeah. I think even if he does make the team out of camp, he might be the second guy on that unit because we saw last year the second unit got scored on in like I think two two penalty or two shorthanded goals against in something like five games, and then like immediately after that it was two defensemen for the rest of the year. Uh, it was Schmidt and, and Myers for the rest of the year. I hate two defensemen on a power play, though. Really? I hate what it. I despise thing, it. That's what I like about Jack Rathbone is like his shot, and we saw it in Utica as well. That his first goal in Utica with an absolute bomb from the right side with two defensemen there. I, I see Jack Rathbone being used on the half wall on the right side because I don't think there's another guy that makes like honestly, there's no other forward on the second unit that makes as much sense there. Even though that's where Garland played last year, I think they use him in the bumper or potentially on the left side. And I think Rathbone goes on the right half wall. I just think generally, if you look at um, the the historical numbers of power plays with four uh, four forwards, one defenseman versus three forwards, two defensemen, like it's such a massive difference in results. And and again, like Rathbone was good at uh, was good in that spot, but. I mean, you know, I just, I think, especially with the amount of, like, forward options the Canucks have now and how much deeper they are, um, and, like, they tried three forwards, two defensemen for quite a significant chunk of last season with the second unit, and I don't know, I'm personally not a fan. I mean, hey, if that's what it takes to get Rathbone reps, I guess fine, it's just a second unit power play, it's, it's fine, but I think, you know, I, I always think you're best advised to, to go four forwards, one D on a power play unit. Yeah, and that's something that Jason King has been a huge fan of, who's going to be running the power play. Like, I mentioned it in the article I just wrote, like, Jason King also, like, experimented with five forwards in Utica a couple of years ago when he was running the Utica power play. Like, I don't think that they have the forward depth to do that, but that's the, that's the other thing I wanted to ask. Like, if you are going four forwards, one defenseman, we all know what the first unit's going to be. We don't really have to discuss that. Uh, but the second unit... It looks like it'll be Garland. It looks like it'll be Pearson, Huglander, 
And then one of Rathbone or, or Oliver Ekman Larson. I think it's going to be Ekman Larson. You guys are thinking Rathbone. That's what we want to see. Want to yeah. see. But do you, so wait, like, are you guys thinking it is going to be OEL? I like, think, that's what we're going to get. I think there's a strong chance it's OEL. Okay. Yeah. I agree with him. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to see two. But if you are using a fourth forward, you're going to have Pearson, Garland, Huglander. That's no center. Is it going to be Sutter or is it going to be Pod Colson? Like from there, it's Ooh. it's a question because like I looked at it last year. So the second power play unit had fourteen faceoffs that was in the neutral zone or the defensive zone. Fourteen faceoffs all year long. Is it that big of a deal to not have a center well, on that he, line? Here's the thing: the second unit power play most of the time is going to be like they're going to hop on the ice on the regrouping fly. on the fly. So I don't think the face-off component matters as much. I think it would would have been ideal to have a center there. Um, I I don't know. I'd, I'd kind of like to see Pod Colson. I'd like to see Pod Colson, but the only time, like, you just have to rely that they're not going to ice the puck because otherwise you can just put Sutter out if that you happened, need him to like do I a face-off. Like I said, I mentioned the 14 face-offs. Only four face-offs last year for the second power play unit were in the defensive zone. Okay, well... Hopefully. So that's a risk that I'd be willing to take. Pod Colson's taken face-offs at the international level. Never did it with Ska, obviously, because mm. they wouldn't do that for him. Uh, but when he's played under Larionov, he's been a power play center on, you know, like four Larionov's team in the U-20s and an international play that he's played. So, I mean, that's an option. Tanner Pearson, Garland, Hoglander, you're not really going to go with one of those guys to take the face-off. So, like, it might end Sutter up can be Fogo. Face-off, get off. Exactly. But yeah. that that the way that I was thinking, like, if you are in a situation where, say, the lotto line's out there for a long time, they draw a penalty, and that's the situation where you have to go through second unit to start, you can have Horvat still go out there because he wasn't on the line with the lotto line. Yeah. So, like, that's another option, too. But like you said, in a pinch... Say you're in a pinch and you just had like a long shift. Say you have a four-minute power play, a double minor, and it was like a two-and-a-half-minute shift for the first unit. Then you put out the second unit for a face-off. You can go with Sutter in a pinch if you or have even to. But Dickinson. then, like you said, face-off, get off. You know, like that. that's what you want to see with Maybe Sutter even Dickinson? That's the thing, too. Like, Dick, yeah, Dick, I think you would go with whoever, like, because I don't think Dickinson's going to stay around on the pairing. So I think you just go with yeah. whoever you, whatever yeah. side the faceoff's on, maybe go with that way. It's like, in a pinch, you can do that. But I don't think that you need to have, like, you don't need to force Sutter to be on the second yeah, unit. No, for no, sure. no, you don't no chance. force Dickinson on the second unit. It's just, there's so much more value to having Pod Colson than one of the actual centers for faceoffs. Like, I, I've seen people float the idea of, like, Miller should be on the second unit because, you know, that, that gives them a second, that gives them a center. I don't think you need to do that at all but like if if you were to take one player off of that first unit and flip him to the second say i think garland would be the first guy to move up or potentially huglander like if you were to take one guy if you were to make one change to the first unit what would it be for next season quads we'll start with you like if you were to make one move wow i mean i'm starting to consider miller but i think what i could see them actually doing if we're thinking about changes is besser We've seen that in the past and moving him to a second unit that is more oriented for shooting, like getting him that shot. And like Harmon was alluding to, having the threat of Rathbone at the point is going to open up space for Besser. And I know he's not Alex Ovechkin, but if we're looking from a stylistic standpoint, I think that's the change I would make is if you have Rathbone on that second pair, which... I would if I was making the power plays. Um, I'd have Besser on the side there because I think that, you know, in combination with that fake clapper, that lo- that opens up a lot of opportunities for Besser. And Hart, where would you go if you had to make one move to the first unit? I think I think it would it would be Besser just because, you know, the the problem that I run into is like a lot of people will would say Miller. 
And okay, like like let's run through the hypothetical of okay. Then you have Besser and Pedersen on your flanks. My question is, who is the primary? I guess um, initiator. I guess the proverbial quarterback for that unit because I know people people call the defenseman the quarterback. They're not usually the ones making most of the plays. They're mostly just a bridge. And so the problem I run into is as a primary puck handler, that's not Besser. He's a shooting threat. And so you say, so, and so you might say, oh, like. Pedersen, that's such an obvious guy from the right circle. The problem with Pedersen on the right circle as your primary, um, like the only point of having Pedersen on his offside is for the one-timer threat Absolutely. as a shooting threat. So if you have him on the right side, first of all, Hor- uh, Pedersen to Horvat, that one-time threat isn't there anymore. And so you don't have that. You don't have the tic-tac-toe because, again, Horvat just can't get that one-timer off from that right side. So if you really wanted to run Pedersen and Besser on their um, on the flanks, to have a primary puck handler, you'd almost need to swap them onto their strong sides, yeah. which I don't know how much appetite the Canucks actually have to do that, which is why I'm, I, I kind of like the idea of keeping Miller on the left, left side because he can do the, the primary puck handling duties as... He's got the one-time pass to Horvat. He can go down to to the to the net front potentially with potentially with one of Besser or Garland as a right shot. Have the tic tac toe. Miller can hit Pedersen with the seam pass. Miller can shoot himself. Like I really like. I still like the idea of Miller on the left side running things um, because that's kind of what worked in 1920. So that's you know for that reason that's why I'd kind of think to myself okay if if you had to move someone from the first unit onto the second one it would it would I think be Besser yeah i think i mean that makes a lot of sense because it's you you brought up a really good point about being the guy with the most possession time like it isn't Besser you know like Besser yeah. shouldn't be that guy because his playmaking like i'm not saying it's bad like it's not like Besser's a bad passer but look at everyone else on that group he probably is the worst like playmaking player on that line. So yeah, it'd be nice to get him a lot of shots. I I wonder about like I know that Horvat's had a lot of success in the bumper position, but would JT Miller not have a lot of success in that spot as well if you were to go with or if you were to go with Besser and have that option for Pedersen now? Like I wonder if Horvat would be a guy that you can move to the second if you were forced to. And say you move Garland up, right? Then you have a you have a Miller as a net front. You could have Garland who, from what I've seen on his power play with the Coyotes, was he moves around the ice a lot. Started on the right side, but, man, he moved around the ice a ton. That was the thing that, like, when I was considering just maybe, like, kind of making an article or, and writing a point about Garland maybe being on PP1, the part that made me want to do it was that the problem that I had with the Canucks power play last year was, like, how stagnant they were, how rare they moved from their positions. With Garland, like, he's all over the place. He would start on the right side, but he would swing around the net when the puck wasn't on his stick. Like, he he's creating different different options for the power play unit and i think if the pp1 if the first unit struggles like i think garland goes up maybe can bring just a little bit of that you know you know not i don't want to say randomness but something that's just different and like something that will make the other players have to move as well that was the only thing that that kind of had me leaning towards thinking garland might be on a first unit i personally lean like i don't like the idea of shifting horvat off i think he like leads a team in power play goals over the last right. couple of seasons. Like that's been their money um, kind of combination because teams cheat over to Pedersen that opens up the middle. And that's where, I mean, so many tic-tac and one-time goals there in the bumper. I think Horvath just mastered at this point, the bumper position. Good point. It's been their most successful um, look in the power play. And so I wouldn't want to risk messing that up. I'm not saying that Garland wouldn't be um, a good fit in the bumper or, or another option. Um, I just, 
personally, when I see something working, I don't want to tinker with it too much. And especially because if you're demoting Horvat to the second unit, I see Horvat as an excellent kind of trigger man, as someone who can, um, like if he has, like on PP1, when there's a lot of playmaking talent around him, he's such a good finisher as like an a complimentary, like the fourth piece on a power play. Yeah. Whereas on a second unit, if you're asking the power play to run through Horvat, I don't know if he's that guy. Whereas you don't have a strong shot on either yeah, side of him. Now he exactly is the guy. like. Whereas I think with someone like Besser, and again, I still want to see Besser on the first unit. Uh, but if we're hypothetically talking about shifting one guy off, um, you know, you can run a power play through Besser with his shot. Mm-hmm. So again, I still think Garland ends up on the second unit, and we have both. You know, we have all of Patterson, Miller, Horvat, um, and Besser on the first unit. But yeah, it's it's. It's a very interesting kind of hypothetical. And again, it's it's just more options for the coaching staff to, to if, consider. If we go with a second unit with two defensemen, as we kind of shift back to the second unit, is there a chance Pod Colson plays over Pearson? Because I think they're going to go with Garland. I think they're going to go with Huglander. The guy that kind of is the fifth on the depth chart, if you're looking at it, if they're going, like, a lot of hypotheticals here, two defensemen, but would there be a chance for Pod Colson to play over Pearson? Quads, what do you think? Pod Colson over Pearson on the power play unit? Second unit. Yeah... Yeah, I think there would be a chance, actually. I mean, it's tough to say because... We really need to see Pod Colson in camp. We do. Like, that's the uh, thing, like, right? Pearson's not a bad finisher, either. Like, I think some people kind of... But also, where do you use him on the second unit? Too? Yeah, that's does where he, the issue is comes. Is he the net front guy? Is he the bumper guy? Like, it, it, it's kind of strange that... Like, finding a spot for Pearson that makes a lot of sense. I feel like net bumper, front. Yeah. bumper would be he's the one been for net me. Front. I, I, yeah, I, I think like, he'd be used in net front. Right. And that's the thing. Like, Pod Colson would be net front, too. Like, that's and, where he played in the KHL. But Pod Colson had a lot of success on the J, like on the U8 or yeah. U20s playing the half wall, yep. too, because of his playmaking. Not because of his shot, but because of his actual playmaking and making plays to guys like Pearson at the net. I think that's where Pod Colson's best offense is going to come on the power play is how... You know he finds those those tight passes to be able to make to the bumper or to the guy in front. So I like I wonder if Pod Colson can play over a Pearson just because of the reason that Pearson isn't the guy who's going to be making good passes from the half wall, but Pod Colson has the option of kind of doing both. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Unproven is, at the NHL, exactly. So I think to answer your question, I think it's Pearson to start the year, and then I think it depends largely on how well Pod Colton shows in practices, in training camp, all that stuff. You know, there's going to be some preseason games, right? And I think, you know, unlike last year, in the preseason games, we're going to see the Canucks really, you know, experiment with that second unit. I think the first unit, like we all said, is pretty set in stone. Yeah. But I think they're going to try some different looks on that second unit just to see what they like. Um you know, like I, I know you want that first unit to get reps so that they get ready for the season, but like I think we are going to see that second unit get shifted around quite a bit in yeah. the preseason games, and I think that's going to be good for them. Um, like I, I think if you get Pod Colson on that second unit, it means that he's had a stellar training camp and a really good preseason, so I think you're happy with that. Um, I just don't know if he'll be there right from opening night. Yeah, it's a lot to ask. Yeah, but it it's is. a guy who just played in the second best league in the world and dominated in the playoffs. Like coming out of that league on a very high note after some struggles before. And I, uh, Harm, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I don't know if you were involved with that much, but I saw uh, Rick Dollywall and Thomas Durant uh, spoke with Pod Coles and, and Klimovich. Did you hear anything about that as we kind of move into a prospects report? Or is there any prospect you kind of want to touch on here? Uh, we normally close out the show with a prospects report. If there's anything you want to dive into. 
Um, not, uh, not, a not a whole lot, honestly. Um, the one thing I just, uh, want to say about Klimovich is, um, you know, it was, it was really fascinating to, to talk to people. And I think, you know, he's the kind of player where if he hits, I definitely see him being a kind of fan favorite, to be honest, is just one of the things that kind of sticks out to me because he has a shot. He has the strong puck handling skills. He, he's above average. And, and this is the other part where, you know, it's caused a bit of issues in the Belarusian league um, is the kind of just like edge and temper he has. He's almost like, um, mini JT Miller in that sense, but I feel like once he tones that in, that passion that he plays with, I think is just generally one of the things that um, could possibly endear him if he ever hits in the NHL. And it's going to be interesting to, like, we'll dive into this, we'll get to your prospect thing a little Thanks. bit, but what we got harm here, and just because I know you've been able to watch a lot of Klimovich, and you saw him at U18s, you saw him in some Belarusian leagues, but the best spot that I see for him, like, personally, I would love to see Abbotsford. Like, I would love to see him be in Abbotsford. I think it would be a lot of fun for the fans. He would put butts in seats. Um, I don't know if his game is ready for that level, but to me, the best spot for him that's realistic is the KHL. But I'm curious to get your thoughts first, then I'll give my my reasoning why. Here's the thing with Klimovich. I don't think anybody knows what the perfect spot for him right now is. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because... You looked at him at the U18s, and he was dynamite. That's the tournament where he caught the attention of not only Canucks, Canucks scouts, um, but scouts across the the league. Before that tournament, there wasn't a lot of chatter about Klimovich. And it was at that tournament where it was like, geez, at the high end, this guy might be a late first. Maybe he goes in the second or third. Like That's where he grabbed everybody's attention. But before that tournament against his peers in the Belarusian League, he didn't look like the same player. And so it's it's this question of which version of Klimovich are the Canucks getting? And that's ultimately not only a short-term question, but a long-term um, in terms of his projection as far as what is more representative of his actual game. And so right now it's really hard for me to say because if it's the like the U18 version of Klimovich, then it's easy to say like he can yeah he could handle it in a pro league, um, in the KHL maybe gets loaned out there. Um, but if you see more the Belarusian version of Klimovich, then it's like maybe you send him down to the queue and just let him light it up there in like a top line role playing power play. So I think that's why it's going to be so interesting to see him hopefully at camp. Because we'll all get a chance to see where exactly he's at. Not because we think he's going to crack the NHL roster or anything, but just we'll be able to see where his skating is at and how he looks against pro-level competition after an off-season of, of, of hopefully some good training. So, to be honest, you asked me this question now, I have no idea. Yeah. As having like followed him, I still have no idea where the best spot is, and that's why I think camp is going to be interesting. But that's the, that's the dilemma, too, where it's like KHL camp starts much earlier their season starts earlier so it's like you, you kind of got to make that decision if you want to send him to the khl i don't think you have that option to wait yeah. because the khl season's already going to be in full swing and at least the canucks have control over this situation but man it's it's a really tough decision and it's not one that i that i personally think there's a slam dunk option for yet yeah i, I found it interesting that you know in the he was on a trial contract with dynamo Minsk, played in the one exhibition game with them was playing on their top line I found that to be the reason why you shouldn't be afraid of the KHL as much as you were with Pod Colson. Because for sure, if he was with Dynamo Minsk, it's a very different organization than Ska. Right? You pick like, his destination. You're picking his destination exactly. And if, if they're going to say top six minutes for this kid, we want him there. 
that makes a lot of sense to me. Power play time, all that. Getting to play against KHL competition is the toughest league you could play in aside from the NHL. Like, that would be huge for him to get the opportunity to play against the CSKs, to play against the Skaz, to play against the Avto Mobilist. Like, all these these tough KHL teams that are strong and have close as close as you're going to get to NHL defensemen as possible. Like, that would be a great move for me if he's getting the top six minutes. But like you said... Like their camp's already in full swing. They're in the preseason games already. Like yeah. they're they're getting a lot closer to the season in the KHL than we think. We're still a month and a half away from even training camp here in Vancouver. So I, I'm not sure. Maybe do you know how it worked? Would he be able to join later on alone? Like I'm not even really sure how that works. I I honestly don't know what the rule even is on import players. I think going to the KHL is a lot easier. Obviously, it's a lot easier than coming from the KHL to the NHL. I don't think there'd be that big of a deal getting a loan there. I just wondered. Team. I have. I don't know how the KHL works in terms of. Do they have rules around how many like non-Russians or like import players you can have? Like, I don't know how that works. So, well, the interesting thing about Dynamo is they are in Belarus as well. Uh, so, I wonder if that helps because he is from Belarus himself. Maybe they're able to get him in there a lot easier. That's yeah. what I could see it happening for sure. So, yeah, I I would love to see him play in the A. Like, we would all love to be able yeah. to go to Outsert and watch him play. But we're going to have to wait till camp to see what he actually looks like. So uh, we'll wrap up our prospects there. But Quads, you have whoa, prospects whoa, whoa. as well. Yeah. But, of course, we all know which prospects is going to be about because we know it's going to be a goaltender. But go off, do your thing. Take, talk a, to, take a prospects report. Talk to Mikey DiPietro today. Uh, confident kid. Wow. That was actually my first time talking to Mikey DiPietro. And it was funny because... I'm working on a story right now, and my original thought process was, oh, this will be a feature uh, with an Abbotsford focus about how Mikey's developed up to this point, and how he's looking forward to a huge year where he gets to play a ton in Abbotsford, and Mikey did not really want to talk about Abbotsford. Like, it, not in a bad way. Like, he's like, I'm sure the fans out there are great. Like, he's like, I uh, hopefully um, hopefully they're just like the Vancouver fans. Like, I think it's going to be great, and he nothing but good things to say about Abbotsford. But he was like... But my mindset's different this year. He's like, I'm not just... If I show up thinking that I'm just going to go through the motions and then eventually get sent down to the AHL, I shouldn't even be at training camp. And it was interesting because Ryan Johnson, Jim Benning have both talked about it and they're like, yeah, we hope Mikey can get 50 to 60 games in in the AHL level. I didn't even get to that question with Mikey. I had it. like I was like, oh, I'll ask him about that. But I didn't even get to that because the one person who has been saying that Mikey's going to... Mikey's going to come into camp and try to make the team is Ian Clark, who I'm talking to today as well, like very shortly after this podcast. Um, so that'll, that'll be an interesting conversation because I'm going to ask him about that as well. I will have a story on Canucks Army with quotes from all of these guys, but Mikey is motivated. He is confident and he's trying to make the team. And after this conversation on the way here, I was thinking to myself like, wow, there's actually a path for him to do exactly what he's saying and make this team. And like the Halak contract, you don't want that bonus to kick in. The best way for that bonus not to kick in is Mikey coming and knocking the door down and just showing that he can be the backup. Like one quote that really stood out was he was like, look, like I'm not that kid that came in and got shelled for seven goals against the San Jose Sharks. Mm, I like, like that. Yeah, he was like, he's like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mature young man now. Oh, man. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what he said. He said, I'm a, I'm a mature young man now. And, like, he didn't come off as, like, a douche or anything. Like, yeah. he was, he was, you know. It's impossible for Mikey. We've all heard him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the, super like, confident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's super well, confident. He's not a kid anymore, I guess. No, don't call him a kid. Yeah. He'll start fighting you, just like me. If you ever call me what about, a kid. Do we still call him Mikey, or does he go by Michael now? He, Mike. he, when I answered the phone, he said, hey, this is Michael DiPietro. And I said, hey, Mikey, how's it going? And that was, you know, 
He's like, drop the mic. <laughs> drop the mic. It's Michael. It's Michael now. now. It's Mike now. <laughs> Big Mike. Uh, Big but, Mike. Wow. You know, I've I wrote about this. I think like a week ago or so, landing out the idea where you know Halak can play under ten games. Exactly. You know, yeah. there was a way where DPH where Demko can play thirty four of forty three at the point where DiPietro would have 30-plus games, start 30-plus starts, and then you can bring him up. Like, there's a world where that can happen, and that would be to, to avoid the salary. It's it's a very long shot because you would have to have Demko and DiPietro be healthy all year, and you would have to have Demko play 34 of 43, which isn't insane. There's four back-to-backs in there, so it's not a ton. But, you know, there's a world where you can avoid the the bonuses on Halak's deal. And I think that's... And it'd be good. interesting. Like you said, like he's coming to camp to beat out Yaroslav Halak, who's a 35-year-old NHL veteran of, what, 15-plus, you know, yeah. 12 years for sure. Like, that's that's a confident Mikey DiPietro that we're going to see here at camp. And having a full year of work with Ian Clark, I, I would assume he's very different than the guy that we saw again. Oh, he show. is, he is, he is. There, there are so many differences. And the main thing is, you know, we were joking about this, is... He's not as hunched over in the crease. Like when I, I used to write prospect reports about him, I was like, he almost looks like an old school goaltender. And the old school goaltenders, they didn't have like much protection on their abdomen. So they would tuck in their, their chest and their shoulders would be really low. And they would use the, the leg pads, the front of the pads to like block their lower abdomen. Like that was, that was the style back then. And he almost looked like that. And he was like joking about that. He's like, cause I asked him just straight up. I was like, what's the biggest change? And he said everything. And then he did point to that. Cause um, he said people used to joke with him that they didn't know what team he played for because his crest was always hidden. <laughs> any uh, any Euro Cup talk between you? Yeah, two we times? actually Did opened you? with I Euro Cup so. talk. He he, uh, he talked he talked about watching it with his nonno and nonna, yeah. um, and I I related to him with that. And then I was also tell I told him about Commercial Drive, which somehow he hadn't heard of. So I'm just saying, like I know last year was a weird year, and that's what I said to him. But I was like, yeah, like you'll feel right at home if you go to Commercial <laughs> Drive. Like you should make make a trip out there this year. Pastor More talk at all? No, no, I, did, I didn't name drop them. Okay. Domino's talk? Because I know. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't okay. dare. Okay. Harm, what do you think about hearing that? Just kind of, you know, obviously, I think you know, you've talked to Mike yourself as well. Like, he's a confident kid. He's a confident kid and also very talented. But does that shock you a little bit to hear that, you know, he wants to push for an AHL job? You think that it's, it's what do you think about him not accepting just an AHL starter's role? I love it. That's yeah. exactly what I want. If I'm running an organization, that's how I want my players driven, especially because we know for a fact that it's never out of like an arrogant mindset or anything, because, you know, you talk to you talk to him and he's just the nicest, most down to earth dude ever. So, you know, I love to see that confidence now. I think from a practical perspective, like there was a ton of interest, I think, in Halak as a veteran backup netminder. There weren't a ton of, I think, quality backup options. And so I do wonder if the Canucks in pursuing Halak had to kind of, you know, when they were signing that contract, essentially say, hey, we're going to play you and you're going to get those bonuses. Like to get him to agree to that mm-hmm. contract. So I wonder if that's kind of like an informal agreement that they're going to have to kind of stick to. Yeah. Um, especially because like the way you treat free agents does ultimately matter as an organization. Yeah. So if you were to bring in... Halak, well, the Canucks have been pretty nice to free agents over the years. <laughs> they, yeah, they can be mean to one of nice. them if they want. No, it's just like I mean, you bring in Halak, and again, like if 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 Di Pietro was better than than Halak in camp, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, just wave Halak, right? But I mean, if you're a free agent and you know you were in demand, a lot of teams wanted you and would have gifted you a full time backup position, and you've got these bonuses like 
it, that would, I think, not really be a great way to treat treat free agents. And I think you know other other players and other agents kind of recognize that. I mean, I don't know who Halak's agent is, but like word word kind of spreads on these things. And I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't wait until the second buyout window for Holtby because. Mm-hmm. That would have really, really pissed him off. And, you know, after the year that Holpe had, I, you know, I just think the team was cognizant of those optics. So I, I do wonder if, if Halak, you know, on an ability, on a true ability level, I genuinely think DiPietro could challenge him. But even then, there's also the perspective of, you know, DiPietro barely played last year. And yeah, he worked with Ian Clark, which I think is, is a great thing. But, in another year of backing up and not getting a lot of game action, like I'd love to see DiPietro just get a bunch of Boy. game reps in. So, you know, I, you know, while I love DiPietro's kind of passion and his kind of desire to make the team out of camp, I still think it it's most sensible for him to play in the AHL. And I do know the Canucks have always believed that by the end of Holpe's contract, that that was kind of the timeline where they're like, okay, like, DiPietro is now going to be an NHLer, yeah. right? So I think they definitely still believe that when Halak's contract comes off, like that's when DiPietro, uh, DiPietro is going to make it. So I, I, I think, I think he'll still be in the still be in the AHL, but love the mindset and attitude for sure. Yeah, I'm and not sorry. Just to close out there with Hart said, like not only the mindset from him, but you've heard the same thing from Clark. Yeah, right? yeah. Like that's the thing you've heard Clark say the exact same thing, and he's been in the camp. Like speaking with Ryan Johnson, speaking with Jim Benning, both guys have said. AHL, but from Clark, we haven't heard. It's the same thing, like you said, with what Mikey was saying. There's not a lot of talk about the AHL between Clark and DiPietro, it yeah. feels like. I'm just going to throw this out there. A lot of people were like scratching their heads when they acquired Spencer Martin, but if you're looking at maybe trading or waiving Halak out of camp, you just have some more depth with that Martin Martin acquisition. Yeah, but he's not like a high end age. No, no, he's not. But he's gonna, he'd back up Seelovs. Like that's that's yeah. what would happen. They'd put Seelovs in as the starter. That would be Yeah. To quickly dive in on that, like I want to get your opinion since this is I guess the only really news since we recorded last. Does does Martin jump Seelovs in the depth chart or is he the ECHL guy? Because you could get Seelovs because also they don't have an ECHL team right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, is he ahead of him? Uh, I because think it's he's pretty played close. played in the AHL. Yes. Played I, as a backup last year in the Commerce Division last year. I think it's pretty close, but I think when you're looking at what the organization actually wants and which of these players is a higher ceiling for the organization, yes. it's definitely Seelovs. So like, they're going to want to play Seelovs. Listen, like, similar to Mikey, Seelovs didn't play last year, but Seelovs didn't get great coaching. Like, he was in Manitoba, and this is a knock on the goalie coaches there, but they're just not going to give him yeah. the same kind of attention and nurturing that you would get if he was in Utica or if he was in Vancouver with Ian Clark or Curtis Sanford. Um, so I think they do want to get him to Abbotsford. I think Seelovs will be in Abbotsford this year, and I do think he's going to play. I think he's going to play some games for them. Unless Mikey's there because he's playing 60 games, according to Bennett. Well, yeah, the, the so. thing that the thing that kind of complicates it is having Martin... Silovs and Di Pietro down there. Yeah. Like they're not going to carry another goaltender on their roster at the NHL level, but at the AHL level, like what are they going to do? I think my first thought process was definitely, I wonder if they're going to loan Silov uh, somewhere else. Like whether yeah. it's to another AHL team, maybe in the ECHL, so he gets game reps. Whether it's even overseas somewhere in Europe. Like my first thought thought was. I wonder if something shifting here with Sea Laws where they maybe want to get him some game action elsewhere. Yeah, that could be it. Quite there's good connection with TPS in Finland, I know. 
Obviously, that would be an example. You got Sammy Salo there, assistant coach. He was with Riga before. You got Palmu there as well. And uh, oh, yeah. Irmo there as well. So there's a lot of Canucks with hmm. TPS. Might just be... There's just one European team to float out there, I guess, is an idea. Yeah. But also, that's a stacked Finland organization that likes to bring up a lot of their own as well. You know, I find it so interesting how some of these European team works where it's like the guys from the age of 14 are with that squad and coming all the way up through. It, it's something kind of cool that we don't see here, obviously. Like, there's no... You know, that's something that I kind of am envious of a lot of European sport, whether it be like Barcelona's team and how they develop, you know, a Lionel Messi from the age of like 12 and comes up and is the star for their team girl. Like that's, that's cool. How we like, we don't really have that here in North America though, but um, we'll wrap up there on the soccer talk, I guess. Uh, but harm, I, I normally would ask like, you got anything coming up, but I think you're, you got some time off coming up, right? Yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, to enjoying it. I'll, I'll have uh, definitely a couple pieces in the middle of the month. And I think, you know, there are some plans for stuff we'll do at the end of the month leading into September. But, yeah, it's mostly uh, a nice little uh, nice little break for me. Yeah, you're going to get the break here, but then training camp is going to come fast. Oh, yeah. What are you most excited about just to, like, I, I, for us in the media, it's not going to be that different for training camp. But what's something that you're kind of just looking, looking forward to at training camp this year compared to kind of what we've had for the last... You know, the one that started last season and then the one that started at the bubble. Just all the options and flexibility. Because, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Going into camp last year, even after they had the bubble success, it was just like, man. And it was exciting to see Hoaglander. But leading into camp, it was like, man, like, are we really talking about, like, for Tannen versus Erickson as the potential (laughs) incumbents for Horvat before Hoaglander came in. Um, There just wasn't, like, there was obviously, there's always competition for spots, but there wasn't really, you know, any any heft among kind of the names there. And aside from Hoaglander stealing show, it was kind of bland. Whereas this year, it's just like, there's so much to talk about, so many different line combos you can go, go towards. Again, we talked about the versatility of all these guys, um, you know, the different power play units, special teams. I mean, there's just, I'm excited just to just see you've got legitimate competition in depth. And that's, I think, going to lead to, there's always surprises at camp. Um, I'm sure Travis Green's going to try some things that, that will scratch, that will scratch, uh, that, will call, that will cause people to scratch their heads. But I'm just Looking forward to, you know, not having to talk about guys like Erickson and Bertanen for top six roles. Yeah, very excited. We'll be talking about OEL's defensive game instead this time, which will yeah. kind of counterbalance it a little bit. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, and Quads, um, it's going to be my first time ever missing an episode on this next episode. Saturday show, it's going to be my first episode. It, I think this is 183, so it will be 184 will be the first episode without me on the Canucks Convo. And uh, I don't, you don't have to reveal who's going to jump in and co-host with you, or maybe you're going solo. Maybe you're doing an I don't interview. even know. I might get Woodley. We'll see. Uh, well, I ain't, I ain't editing goal that. I ain't episode? To that. I'm not doing any of that. Little goaltending episode? But we'll see. You're going to have a, a, a fun episode. I'm taking the weekend off. It's my girlfriend's birthday. We're going to go up to Whistler and have some fun and uh, it's going to be a good weekend away for me. So uh, yeah, I'll see everyone on next week's midweek episode, but for Harmon Dial, David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber and thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Canucks conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks conversation delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim.